What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where you find all of our new baseball content, podcasts, articles, news and notes, polls, any updates that we have for our baseball division. You guys find them over there at EthosFantasyBB. If you're not somebody who uses Twitter, please go ahead and check out SportsEthos.com. You find all of our great content over there. Specifically right now, NBA content is what we have really cooking with the basketball season a few weeks in. You can find all of our great tools there. If you go to sportsethos.com and you hover over the NBA tab, you'll see all of what our site has to offer over there. Now, today we are going to kind of pick up where we left off yesterday. We're talking steamer projections. Yesterday, we went through some of my initial hits from looking at the pitcher side, uh, the things that really stood out to me. Uh, and we're not, we didn't go through like every single team, every single player, things like that. We just looked at the the main takeaways, the big points. If you guys missed that show yesterday, then please go back and have a listen. Today, we're going to talk about the batters. We're going to talk about the hitting side and the things that stand out to me here. Of course, if you guys want to follow along, go to Fangraphs. You go to their drop-down menu. You click on Projections, and then you go to 2024 Preseason Steamer. It's at the top of their Projections drop-down there. That's on Fangraphs.com. And we are going to take a look here at some of the lofty batter projections and the ones that really stand out. And the first one, of course, to me and to a lot of people, was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, projected for a pretty big bounce back, 36 home runs, 107 RBI, 96 runs, and a 285 batting average. Now, I am starting to pull together my projections. I've been doing them slowly over the course of the last month or so. And the projection, the projection that they have for Vlad isn't too far off from what I have for Vlad. I had 34 homers down, 90 runs, 110 ribbies, and a 285 batting average myself. So we're not too far off. They projected seven steals for Vlad. I projected five. And I was kind of I did this before Steamer came out, my my Vlad projection. I've kind of been doing some here, some there. I started off with the guys generally that I knew were going to be on that team next year. I didn't want to start projecting the Cody Bellingers of the world and the Blake Snells of the world. I wanted to have some team context. So I just started off with, you know, some of those obvious, you know, for the Blue Jays, Vladimir Guerrero, Boba Shett, George Springer, Dalton Varsho, those guys that I knew were going to be around. I did this about a month ago, and it's, you know, refreshing to see that mine is pretty close to what Steamer has. Now, a lot of people are looking at this and saying, it's an outlier season that is still factoring into these projections for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Because 2021 was obviously, to this point, the outlier of his career. And the way the projections generally work is they tend to look back over the previous three years. And they don't just average out those three years, but they do tend to weigh uh, what has happened over the last three years more so than, than the other things. Obviously, it'll weight you know, 2023 more than 2022, and I believe more than 2021. Um, but that 2021 season where Vlad had 48 homers, 123 runs, and batted 311 is still being factored into the projection. So there is some worry, and I count myself among the people that are worried a little bit, that that projection might be a little bit skewed uh, because of how strong 2021 was, and we haven't really adjusted to the fact that maybe it was an outlier. If you look at OPS by season for Vlad, 772, 791, 1,000. 818, and then 788. So that 2021 season was the outlier in a lot of respects. Walk rate as well. Uh, it was just about his lowest strikeout percentage, close to it anyway. Uh, this year was actually his lowest ever strikeout rate, which is very good. He also had his highest ever walk rate outside of 2021. So it was still a very good season for Vlad. You know, he had a 118 WRC+, plus, batted 264 with 26 homers. 
it just based on the expectations, right, Vlad disappointed us. If a lot of players in Major League Baseball put together the season that Vlad just did, it wouldn't probably not be a career high for a lot of players, but it would be a very, very strong season. You got to remember, he was still about 18% better than the average hitter this year. When he was in his peak year of 2021, he had a 166 WRC plus, so he was 66% better than average. They're projecting him to get pretty close to that again at 144. They're projecting a better season than 22 and 23. And I would have to agree that based on the fact that Vlad is so young and he has shown these spurts of talent to us in the past and even this past season, I think we still have to have fairly lofty projections for him. If you just look back and consider what he has done to this point at his age, it is incredibly impressive. And now he's entering into when a lot of players hit their prime, that 25, 26 age season. He'll be 25 at the start of next year. So I think it is fair to have pretty lofty projections for Vlad. Uh, and it's pretty nice to see that they are pretty in line with what I had already jotted down for him. 36 homers, 107 ribbies, and 285. I think a lot of people would take that, specifically because Vlad is going in the third round of drafts. In the early drafts that we are seeing, He's going in the early 30s. So if you're able to get Vlad in the third and you know, potentially if you're talking a shallower league, maybe even the fourth round of like a 12-teamer, I think you have to be in with both feet there, uh, You know, considering the discount that you're getting based on the last couple of seasons. A lot of time that's where you find the value. It's not in pushing up the Royce Lewis's and the Ellie Dela Cruz's, but it's in finding a couple around discount in the guys who are being pushed down uh, a little bit based on a bad season or what have you. But that is where I think you find your quote-unquote league winners. Not that you're necessarily going to be drafting league winners in the first couple of rounds, but you know you can really set yourself back if you miss on somebody versus taking somebody like Vlad, who I don't think you can really miss too much in the third round. Right? What he did this season was still like sixth-round production or so, fifth or sixth round, depending on where you look. I believe Yahoo had him in the 60s in terms of their overall ranking. Their site is actually down right now uh, as I'm recording this. I cannot use Yahoo because their their site is down at the moment. Maybe it's because of the big NBA slate tonight. I'm not sure. But I believe based on their rankings, he was in the 60s or so. You're buying him back in at the 30s, and we know that his you know potential is a top-five player. So I have no problem uh, in projecting that, and neither does Steamer. So that's nice to see. Let's talk about Yandy Diaz. Yandy Diaz is pretty lofty in terms of these projections. Now, WRC Plus, we've talked about it a lot. If you aren't unfamiliar with the stat, weighted runs created plus. It essentially tries to just encompass all of your offensive capabilities into one stat. How good are you offensively? The leaderboard, number one, Jordan Alvarez. Number two, Juan Soto. Number three, Ronald Acuna. Number four, Aaron Judge. Number five, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That is followed by Yandy Diaz at number six in terms of WRC Plus. He's ahead of Kyle Tucker, Freddie Freeman, Shohei, Bryce Harper, Matt Olson, Mookie, Tatis, Seager, Julio. Everybody below him is obviously very impressive because he is coming in at number six on the list. The projections for Yandy are 21 homers, 100 runs scored, 72 RBIs, four stolen bases, and a 294 batting average. Lofty projections. Now, I don't necessarily agree with the home run projection. I think the 22 homers that he hit last year is kind of the outlier, and we've talked about this on the show a little bit. When we did our third base reviews, Yandy kind of lucked into the power season. I think early on he hit, I think 12 home runs in the first couple months. And then it was 10 over the course of the next four. So there's not like a ton of power in the bat. I, I don't think if you look at the isolated slugging number, it's 192, which is not you know indicative of a massive power hitter. I don't know that he's going to be able to maintain that home run pace. I think that we're probably looking at about 15 to 17. I haven't projected him myself yet. 
But it is interesting to see how high Steamer is on him. They think that he's going to be a top six bat in the league just based on offensive prowess. I'm not talking about from a fantasy point of view, but from a fantasy point of view, you're still looking at, you know, you're going to probably get close to 100 runs. That is something I don't see too much of a problem in projecting. He had 95 last year, leading off for a great offense in Tampa. It doesn't matter who the personnel are. They're always just a great offense. I think that 100 runs is very reasonable to expect. 72 ribbies is very fair as well. And then a 294 average with even if it's 17 homers, I think Yandy Diaz is going to be a huge value this season. I got him past pick 100 in the one league where I did take him so far this year. And if that's the going rate for somebody who is going to be doing what they are expecting, I think that you're going to get a really, really nice, uh, really nice steal in Yandy Diaz, assuming that the price doesn't go up too much. Anywhere around pick 100 for somebody with his skill set, he'll also chip in a couple of steals. It won't be a lot, probably. But he's projected for four. He did come off a season where he had zero, but we've also seen him drop two, two, and three uh, steal seasons in the past. So it's not going to be a massive contribution, but just a couple is probable. Maybe not, well, maybe not likely, but it's definitely within the range of outcomes that he'll have a couple of steals. And I think even if it's just a couple, considering what, you know, everything else that he's doing, you're going to be pretty happy to take that close to pick 100. He's a lot cheaper than anybody else you're going to find anywhere in this range on this list, uh, specifically that we are going to talk about right now for sure. Uh, let's move on, though, and let's talk about Shohei Otani. There's a lot of worry that some people have with Shohei Otani because, obviously, the surgery that he's having, we don't, we know he's not going to pitch. We don't know where he's going to play. There are some variables uh, for sure with Shohei. The projections really, really like him, which is not terribly surprising. 37 homers, 20 stolen bases, and a 272 batting average is what he's projected for with 105 runs and 101 RBI. I tweeted out a thread yesterday of players I think are undervalued at their current prices, Vlad, or excuse me, Shohei Otani is one of those guys uh, that I think is very undervalued. He's going at the end of the first round in 15-teamers, generally getting him there in the 15-16 kind of range. And I don't really, I, I get the worry, but in terms of what he actually does on the offensive side of the ball, if you look at WRC Plus for last season, he was 10% better than Ronald Acuna as the best hitter in baseball. He had a 190 WRC Plus. He was pretty much two players last season. It's pretty hard to replicate that at the end of the first round. And, I mean, if the ADP is there, that means he's going in the second round sometimes, right? It's not like the ADP is where he's going in every single draft. Excuse me, it was a 180 WRC+, plus, not 190. He was only a player a player and four-fifths of another player, which is just incredible. Now, the thing with Otani is that the drafts that are being taken place right now are NFBC drafts. That's the only site, I think, that is that has early drafting, at least this early drafting. It's weekly lineups. And with a guy like Shohei Otani, you had to choose in years past. And I had him in a couple of leagues this year where I did have to make that decision. If you want to start him as a position player, which would be a utility spot, or you put him in as your pitcher. The vast majority of the time, you're starting him as a batter anyway, right? Because it's just very rare for Otani to have a two-start week. I think there was one two-start week that he had this year, maybe two. And I, I did start him as a pitcher, I think, twice this year. But generally speaking, you're starting him as a batter because that's where you get the majority of the volume. That's where a lot of the value comes from. His pitching is ridiculous, and it's a nice luxury in case, let's say, you take Otani, and then you had a couple of pitchers that got hurt, and you really needed the pitching stats, then you could have done that. But I think a lot of the time, people were starting him as a position player, and that's what they're going to be doing again next year, right? I mean, it just eliminates that dual threat, which does suck, of course. But you're still getting him where you're – you're still putting him where you have been for the majority of the time in recent years. And I, I don't understand why people would fade that necessarily, considering it's like a round later than last year. Last year, you're getting him like with the 
you know, a top five pick a lot of the time, top seven pick. Now you're getting him potentially at the beginning of the second round, even as a batter only. It's going to be really hard to pass that up, and I could see him going like in Yahoo leagues being pushed down to maybe even the third round. A lot of those leagues are 12-teamers. I could see him slipping outside of the top 25 in a lot of cases just based on that worry. Now, once he signs, it'll be a different story. If he signs with the Dodgers and we know he's healthy going into spring training and batting around Mookie and Freeman, then the price is probably going to go up a little bit. But if you're drafting right now, you can take advantage of that Shohei Otani price. And if you look at these projections... There's no need to be worried based on what they're expecting. 37 homers and 20 steals to go along with 206 runs in RBIs. I think you'll take that uh, pretty much every single damn day. Now let's talk about his current teammate, somebody that I don't think will be his teammate come the next few weeks or so, but it's Mike Trout. Mike Trout's projections are also pretty damn exceptional. 37 homers, 100 runs, 95 ribbies, a 258 batting average, and they think he'll have three stolen bases, which, I mean... I don't know if he'll steal a couple bags. He might. He had two this year in 82 games. We know he's not going to be the Mike Trout of old in terms of stolen bases, a guy that once was a threat to steal 30 or 40. But you'll get a couple there if he's healthy. You're going to get 30-plus homers. The batting average is the interesting projection here. I don't think 258 is realistic just because he had one season where he was in the 260s. You're talking about a career 300 hitter, 301 hitter, through 1,489 games, you're talking more than 6,500 plate appearances. He's a 300 hitter. If he's healthy and he's out there, he's not going to be batting 258. That is a too low projection for me that factors in, I think, too much uh, what we saw in 2023. If he's out there and he's healthy, there's no reason to think he can't be batting 280 or 290 over the course of the whole season. 37 homers, 100 runs, 95 RBI. They're pretty damn lofty. Now, how much of, the, of these projections, I'm really not sure the answer to this question. But how much is the injury risk factored in when they are putting these together? Or is this strictly a matter of what the, what the numbers say? I'm not 100% sure because they're projecting for 146 games, which is a number he has not hit since 2016. So maybe you regress the actual games played down to about 120 or 130, and you just use their projections as kind of like a per-game number. You take their home runs per game, and you put your own playing time into it which I think is probably about 120, 130 games, and you're still getting really, really excellent value and production from Trout. You're still getting 30-plus homers. You're probably getting 90 runs and 85 to 90 RBI. And the thing with Mike Trout that I talked about a few days ago because I drafted him in the Arizona draft I did, you're getting him cheaper than you ever have outside of when, you know, his rookie season when he wouldn't have even had to, you know, he wasn't even being drafted kind of thing. This is the cheapest that we're ever seeing Mike Trout in the fifth or sixth round of 15-teamers. At that point, I'm taking the chance on him, right? If he is able to be healthy, or even if it's just like 2022 where he plays 120 games, he had 40 home runs batted 283 that year. I mean, I'll still take that production given the several-round discount that we're still getting and the fact that these projections really do seem to think that despite the fall-off in batting average, you're still going to get the great volume stats from Mike Trout. A lot of that is obviously health-dependent, but what he does is pretty damn rare to find in the fifth round if he's able to spike a healthy season or even a somewhat healthy season here. Got to remember, Mike Trout isn't the oldest guy. He's only 32 years old. There's a chance still that there's a couple of more peak seasons in him if he is just able to avoid some of those injuries that we have seen. I know it is a risk, but based on what we're seeing here from the projections, I think it's probably a worthwhile risk considering where Mike Trout is going in these drafts. Let's talk about a couple of first basemen that are projected pretty close, and they're actually right beside each other in terms of WRC+. Tristan Cassis and Vinny Pasquantino, really similar projections. Cassis has 27 homers, 81 runs, 85 ribbies, and a 258 batting average. Vinny P is looking at 24 homers, 78 runs, 84 RBI, and a 275 batting average. 
within one WRC plus point of each other. These are going to be guys that are going to be kind of polarizing, I think, throughout this draft season because Tristan Cassis is somebody who doesn't have the greatest actual profile behind him, but he is able to still succeed in spite of it, kind of. We heard them talk uh, over the weekend on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast that we did live or that they did live in Arizona. Tristan Cassis was one of the topics, and he is still a generally pretty polarizing player, even though the power is there. I'm not sure the ability to hit for a pretty high batting average is going to be there. 258 is the projection. I don't know that we're going to see him even get to that. Like, I think he's probably like a 240, 250 hitter. That's what we saw generally in the minor leagues. Now, he didn't go 263 in his first cup of coffee in the big leagues. Not not his first full season. I guess he had 27 games the year prior. But we were able to see him go for 263. I just don't think that's something that's really really attainable for him. He'd have to get really lucky, I think, to hit 263 in, again, uh, 258 with the projecting. I, I don't think that that's something that we're going to see, but 240 with good power numbers in a pretty decent lineup and ballpark. Tristan Cassis is looking like somebody that, as long as he doesn't get pushed up too high in price, could be interesting. Now, the price is a little high. Uh, in certain drafts, people are pushing him up to the fourth round. He went 48th as his minimum pick. Now, his ADP is 107. But that also comes with a maximum pick of 151. So at 151, you're outside of the top 10 rounds there. That's you know great time to take a chance on him. He's not going to last that long, most likely. Uh, but going at pick 48, I don't think Tristan Cassis is somebody that you can really get that excited about. Even with these projections, you are looking at a zero in the stolen base column or two to go along with, I think, a pretty shoddy batting average. And you know while there is power, he's not like a 40 home run bat. He's probably like a 25 to 30 home run bat. So... I think if you're paying fourth-round premium for Tristan Cassis, you're probably going to be pretty disappointed. But with Vinny Pasquantino, you're not really paying that premium. His ADP is 60 slots below Cassis, minimum pick of 96, which is relatively high for somebody who missed all of last season just about. But the max pick is 222. Vinny P at 222 is very interesting considering the profile and the fact that he is somebody that could very easily spike a 300 season. He was hurt last year, so people aren't going to be that interested but the profile, if you look at the minor leagues, is somebody with a very high batting average at OBP, really good plate discipline, and really good power. The only real question I have, because he's, he's going to be healthy going into next year, the question is the lineup. And this is a question that I've kind of had answered a little bit with Bobby Witt Jr. these last couple of seasons. Can players in horrible, horrible lineups still give you great counting stats? And, the, and there's a certain bar to it, right? Like, can they give you, like, 70 and 70 for runs and RBIs? Sure. <clears throat> excuse me, but Bobby Wood Jr. gave you almost 100 and 100 in terms of runs and RBIs this season. In a terrible lineup, Vinny P. I don't think is quite the same level of talent as Bobby Witt, but you combine those two in the lineup, it should just benefit the other, right? They're going to be right beside each other in the lineup or within, within a spot or two, right? It is going to help both of them with Vinny P. back in the lineup. They're projecting 78 and 84. I think you could see that push to like 85 and 90 in terms of run and RBI if things go right for Vinny P, if he's healthy the whole season, and there's no reason to think he won't be. They're projecting 136 games. I, I mean, I understand it based on the fact that his first two seasons are 61 and 72 games, but 2022, he did not come up until partway through the year. It wasn't like he was hurt. He did play in the minor leagues. In 2022, we are looking at 145 games from him. They're kind of low on the games played projection. I think it's partly because of what we've seen the last couple of years, and that's the way that the data works. But if you give him 150 games, which should be pretty likely, you might actually see closer to 30 home runs with like 90 runs scored and maybe even potentially close to 100 RBI. It's definitely possible to go along with the fact that Vinny P can 
potentially, you know, realistically bat 300 in a season. We saw it in the minors, 294, 291, 310, 277. And his first taste at the big league level over 72 games was 295. Now, last year in 61 games, he only batted 247. But I don't think we should factor that too much into the equation when, you know, he did get hurt midway through the year. We didn't get to see a full season from Vinny P. And I think the fact that he is fully healthy now, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's not going to go up as much as I think it is, but I think the track record shows us that he's closer to 280-300 than he is to 240, 250. 275 is probably a reasonable projection, but it's one that he is very capable of going over. So I think Vinny P is going to be one of the nicer bargains in draft season, assuming that people don't start to push him up closer to that minimum pick of 96. If he's going around the ADP of 160-170, and you're talking like 11th, 12th round in a 15-teamer, uh, that's a really, really strong pick. He's going to be a huge target, assuming the price doesn't go up too much from there. Uh, he's definitely going to be somebody we have to keep an eye on. Let's talk about Brandon Nimmo a little bit. Brandon Nimmo is projected to have the 29th highest WRC plus in all of baseball at 125. If you look at what he's done the last couple of seasons, we generally have gotten a good picture now of what healthy Brandon Nimmo looks like. It was a long, long time with a not healthy Brandon Nimmo. If you start from the beginning of his career, you're looking at 32 games, 69 games. 2018 was the only quote-unquote full season at 140, and then after that you're looking at 69. He played 55 out of 60 in the lockout year, so hard to hold that against him, and then he followed that up with 92 in 2021. Now these last two seasons, we're looking at 151 and 152, and the production has been there. You're looking at about 20 home run average, 90-plus RBI average, and somewhere in the 60, um, or excuse me, about 90 runs scored and about 65, 66 RBI average to go along with the 274 batting average in each of the last two seasons. You're getting a guy who's leading off for a pretty strong lineup. You'll have the likes of Lindor and Pete Alonso behind him and whoever else the Mets decide to bring in. You got to think that they're going to do something after last season. And I think that you're looking at a guy who is not going to be terribly expensive. Let me just pull up the early price on Brandon Nimmo. You're probably getting somebody. Uh, let me just get the price here before I before I speak out of turn. Uh, one ninety seven is the ADP. One sixty two on the minimum. Two twenty eight on the maximum. You're getting somebody who is a producer in four categories who will chip in a couple of steals. Great lineup. He does it all, kinda. And I don't know why he's being pushed down so far in these early drafts. Will he be pushed up as people start to you know take note of projections and whatnot? Maybe. But we've kind of known what he's done the last couple seasons. The projections for this year are not really much different than the previous years. He's projected for 20 homers, 97 runs, 68 ribbies, and a 269 batting average. Essentially projected to do exactly the same thing again for a third straight year. And yet he is not being drafted until close to pick and sometimes after pick 200. I don't understand it. I think that he is going to be somebody that is a great value if he's still able to go in this range. And I don't think he's going to be somebody that gets a lot of helium. He's not the type of player who you'd really expect people to be pushing up the draft boards a lot. He's going to be 31 years old when the season starts. He'll have his birthday in that week before the year starts, and he'll be 31. And I don't think that at that point there's a lot of hype around Brandon Nimmo. He's not going to be somebody that – I mean, unless he goes off in spring training or something, uh, maybe people push him up a few rounds. But I think – Generally speaking, you're going to get him past round 10 or 12, and he'll be a great value there again, like he has been the last couple of seasons. We're going to talk one more player today, and this is where uh, it's a little bit of a cautionary tale, in my opinion, with the projections. It's Ellie Dela Cruz. They have Ellie Dela Cruz projected for 28 stolen bases. Where does that even come from? 28 stolen bases. Ellie Dela Cruz just played a hunt, or excuse me, 98 games. 
and had 35 steals. The projections now have him upping the games played by 32, having about 100 more plate appearances, and they think the stolen bases will regress down to 28. This is probably some weird anomaly in the projections or the fact that they want to be more conservative with a younger player because projections generally are more conservative with younger players. But this is foolishly low to have him projected for 28. Assuming that Ellie does play 130 games, you're probably looking at 50 steals. He stole 35 of them in 98 games, right? I don't like to do the times two pro rating thing, and you can't necessarily do it evenly with 98 anyway. But you're looking at like 60 steal pace as a rookie. And now we're going to regress him back to a full season 35 steal pace, 40 steal pace. I don't understand it at all. That is one where you have to kind of be careful. And you got to go through these yourself, right? Because sometimes these are very, very, very strong projections. We talked about it yesterday on the pitching side, how accurate they were heading into 2023, projecting regression and progression for a lot of different players. But they're not perfect. They're not gospel. And certain things like this with Ellie and the Steels projection, you have to go in there and manually look at it yourself and say, no, that's not correct. He should not, whether or not he ends up with 50 or 100 or, or 7, uh, the projection here should be a lot higher. There's no reason to think that Ellie can't go for at least 45 or 50 steals, especially considering the playing time they are projecting for him, which might even be on the low side. 130 games, if he misses 30 games, then this is what he'll do. But I don't see a reason to project him to miss 30 games right off the bat. You're probably looking closer to 150, and at that rate, the sky is the limit with Ellie. But just a, a cautionary tale there. These projections are very good. They're very useful. But don't get sucked into the trick of ignoring everything else and just looking blindly at the projections and going into your drafts just with them. You have to do a little bit of manual legwork as well. And that's why I'm here to help to go through these with you guys. And we'll continue to talk about this. Not tomorrow. We're going to take a break from projections, get back to our positional reviews. We'll go through second base, but we are going to talk projections a lot more throughout the offseason as the bat is released as ATC zips. We'll talk about each projection system for at least a day or so when they first come out. I know zips comes out by team, so that's a little more complicated, uh, but we will be doing that throughout this offseason. If you want to follow along for the ride, of course, subscribe to the podcast. A lot of people will message me and say, I found the show through a link. Uh, it was tweeted out through your account. Thank you for tweeting it, blah, blah, blah. You guys can make it a lot easier on yourselves by subscribing to the pod. If you have you know, worries about where you're going to find a show one day, it just makes it a lot easier. It just pops up in your feed as soon as it is released. And, of course, if you guys are unfamiliar, this is a daily show. We go five days a week talking a variety of baseball and fantasy baseball topics. So make sure you guys are checking it out throughout the offseason. I know that there are not as many baseball shows going on right now, specifically on the fantasy side. So get your fix in here every single weekday. Of course, you can follow along. On social media as well, at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB, and of course, SportsEthos.com for all of that content right from the source. But tomorrow, like I said, we'll get back. We'll talk about the top tier of second baseman in 2023 and what my early thoughts are them are on them for 2024. But until then, guys, take care. Have a great night, and cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.